Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. We uh, have a special guest with us today. And I, before I uh, invite her to come out, I wanted to just sort of give you a, touch, a quick little background uh, many of you have been around a while, you'll know this, uh, but, not everybody, but not everybody will. Uh, ever since I was a kid, for whatever reason, uh, the issues related to the pro-life movement and abortion have been uh, very uh, close to my heart, even in the years that I had spent far away from faith uh, and far away from God. For whatever reason, uh, these were still very, very important uh, issues for me, and uh, I have long had some form of involvement in organizations or in the conversation and reading about it and learning about it and even doing some teaching uh, here and there about it. Uh, that's continued even up to the present day. Uh, we have had a long-standing partnership with Soundview Pregnancy Centers. Uh, they have two centers here on the island, and uh, we've helped uh, as a congregation and personally uh, to get those centers off the ground and to support them. We're helping open up a third center on the island as well. And so we're very excited about Soundview and the work that they're all doing there. Doreen, the head of Soundview Pregnancy, she's also here today, and so she'll be available later on uh, out uh, over in the, the chapel area for some conversations for those who are interested. But we also started Embrace Grace here, and our compassion team under Nicole uh, has been working with an organization that is a way to support uh, the families, mothers who have unplanned pregnancies, families who are sort of just feeling a little bit overwhelmed, uh, and it's a way for us to continue to come alongside and to support uh, people and help families choose life. And so uh, we, again, this is just a little bit of background over the years, how we have been involved and how we continue to be involved. Um, Rebecca Hagen, our speaker today, she is uh, one of the youngest speakers in the nation on the issues of teenage pregnancy, abortion, and the abortion pill reversal. She has spoken uh, and her story has been shared on both local and national media. A whole lot of different organizations and magazines have referenced her and uh, used uh, her uh, story as a way of encouraging many people. When I first met Rebecca, it was actually through a Soundview banquet. Every year they have a banquet, they bring us up to speed, on, up to date on what's been going on, and they uh, use it to help raise some funds to continue the incredible work that they're doing here locally. And uh, so she was the keynote speaker, Rebecca was the keynote speaker, and somewhere halfway through the talk or so, I, I leaned over to Cheryl and I was like, this is a message that has to be heard by more people. We have got, you know, we had two, three tables at the banquet that night, but this is a message that our congregation needs to hear. And so uh, we scheduled uh, with Rebecca to come on out and to share her story with us. Now, I know this is a sensitive topic, lots of emotions. Um, there's always, of course, the political side of things, and unfortunately, the political side of things often is the thing that complicates this conversation. And so we're inviting Rebecca. Everybody say hi to Rebecca and welcome her. Hi, good morning. And one of the neat things that, uh, that I'm, I'm encouraging you guys to do, we're going to be, obviously, I know you guys will all be uh, un unbelievably gracious and kind and, and all of that, but uh, I really do, uh, I, I want you to engage 
with the heart of a young woman uh, who has experienced these, this, these issues and this conversation from a different perspective than many of us will be able to have. And I think in this way, it uh, helps us to continue to lead and to encourage and to become people of hope and compassion. And so I just want to start us off with a little prayer and pray for you and um, just uh, praying uh, for us as a congregation. So Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. We thank you for uh, this community of faith that has continued to uh, create this spiritual family where we grow in love and encouragement and how we reflect Christ's love and grace and forgiveness and all of these things. And Father, we want to do that more and more. And so I think, Lord, in this area, this, this topic, uh, we can do that today. I'm praying that you would bless Rebecca, bless us, open up our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And uh, Father, we want to hear uh, through Rebecca's story, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your heart, and we want to grow in our love for you. We pray all of this in uh, Christ's name. Amen. Let's give another round here a welcomer. Thank you. Well, good morning. Seeing who's awake back there. It is really a privilege to get to be with you and to share a little bit of my life uh, this morning. And I want to tell you, you know, I know, especially in the church setting, when we hear the word abortion, it can feel like someone just said the A word. Like, oh my gosh, do we have to go there? Does this, has to be, does this have to be talked about now and in church? Is this the right setting? And I can promise you it is. And what I really want to do today is bring a personal story to something that can seem really political and really polarizing, because I think that the church absolutely can and should have a role and a voice um, on this subject. Now, I am not from here. I'm not a New Yorker at all. Perhaps you can hear it in me, but I am from the West Coast. I'm from the great state of California. And usually when I speak, I tell people, oh, I'm from California, but I, I promise you I'm really normal. But you get it. Because you tell people from, you're from New York, and they start thinking all these things, and you're like, no, 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 I know Jesus. Uh, so you're, you're really my people. But um, despite the fact that I'm, I'm not from here, I didn't grow up in New York, I think that you and I probably have a lot in common. So I guess let's just start with the obvious. How many of you are first-time attenders at Beacon? This is your first service. Anybody? Well, welcome. It's my first service here, too. So we have that going for us. And then again, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever made a decision and maybe it was a really well thought out, careful decision, or perhaps it was a more instant rash choice and then instantly regretted it? Great. I'm glad I'm not alone because really that's what I want to share with you this morning. Morning, um, a story about a choice that I made. And even if you haven't made it, I think it'll be one you can really relate to. And I, I want to share with you why I made it and what was going through my mind at the time and what happened next when the choice was made, the guilt kicked in, and the role that one actually pregnancy center, much like Soundview that you have here locally, played during what was honestly the most dark and downright hopeless experience I've 
ever had to walk through. But before I can really get to that choice and tell you why I made it and how I got there, I think it's important that we just kind of get to know each other better because we've never met. And since I have the microphone, I'm going to go ahead and go first. Uh, so you already found out I'm not from here. I'm from California. I'm normal, like I said, mostly. And I grew up in a really normal, thriving home. My parents were and still are married. They're going on 30 plus years, I think. And I grew up in church. It was actually a very small Baptist church, very strict. It was probably a total of less than 150 people. And we were there not just three times on Sunday to support my dad, who was in the church band, uh, but we were good Baptists, which means we went to church on Wednesday. So I was there for Awanas, and I had the, the vest and the badges, and I could recite Bible verses. And I was that little girl at a very young age, six, seven, eight years old, second grade. If you had asked me, you know, Rebecca, when did you become a Christian? I would have looked at you straight in the face and said, well, I... I was just born that way. I don't know. Like, I never questioned, is there a God? Is God real? I didn't walk through that in my life. However, even though I thought, yes, I'm a believer, and I got baptized when I was a child, uh, I didn't really know what it meant to walk out my faith. I mean, I knew lots of Bible stories. I could recite them to you, but I didn't really know, like, the whole Bible story. And so by the time I hit about 14 or 15 years old, which is already not a very pleasant time in a teenager's life. There's a lot of, oh gosh, there's a lot of change. You're going to high school and there's, there's uh, choices you can make and there's hormones that are raging. Uh, my attitude really changed. And despite the fact that I was raised in church, still attending my small Baptist church, standing up, singing the, pro the songs, praying, uh, I really thought that at 15 years old, I had the world figured out. And you know, my parents, they're great, but they're old. And the Bible, it's great, but it's old. And I can make my own decisions and do what's ever best for me. And I didn't think anything about the consequences these decisions would have. And so my parents, uh, lovely, lovely, amazing Christian folks, you know, they didn't know how to have conversations about God's plan for healthy sexual intimacy or what an unplanned pregnancy might look like or what do we feel about abortion as a family. Like, we just didn't talk about it at all. So my parents were not the authority on any of these subjects. The church in my life was not the authority on any of these subjects. Who was my authority? My 14 and 15-year-old friends and the school and the environment I was living in. And so uh, my freshman year of high school, get involved with the boy that's a little bit older, start making some very adult-like decisions, again, thinking... What could possibly go wrong? Like, I, I'm almost an adult because 15 is almost 18. And sure enough, by 17, during the summer before my senior year of high school, so technically I was still a junior in high school, I found out that I was expecting my first baby. Now, I was shocked and I was devastated. And more than anything, I think I was scared. But to tell you the truth, I think my dad was more shocked and more devastated because here he just had no idea this like double life his young adult, well, teenage daughter was living. He's thinking, I raised her in the church and she's from a good home and unplanned pregnancies don't happen here. Like that's an LA problem, that's a San Francisco problem, that's a New York City problem, that's a Manhattan problem. That's not a good conservative Christian um, upbringing problem. And the reality is that no one is immune to these 
types of life experiences. No one's immune to unplanned pregnancy. Uh, no one's immune to an abortion decision. And not only can it happen in your congregation, it can absolutely happen in your home especially when nobody's talking about these things. So thankfully, my dad's anger and shock, really, it actually wore off. And he said, you know, Rebecca, we want to see you graduate from high school. You're already pregnant, so there's not much we can do about it. I mean, abortion wasn't a a discussion that we had. And he said, we're going to make you a deal. We will help you out as best we can, but you're going to graduate from high school. You're going to go on to college. I'd already been accepted to a local university and we're going to help you out as best we can, but mark my words, Rebecca, don't you ever get pregnant under my roof again. And I was like, deal, great. And I was so thankful for their help because with them, I was able to graduate about six months early from high school. I immediately, like I said, was already accepted at a local university. I started attending, and things were really looking up for a girl like me, a girl who had gotten pregnant at 17, who uh, wasn't exactly sure what she was going to do with her life, a girl who was going to church but didn't really know the Lord and who wasn't, again, connected to a pregnancy center, much like Soundview that you have here. Uh, There were a lot of people in my life that thought, oh, you know, that baby's just going to ruin her. She'll never finish college, and uh, she just threw her life away. And here I thought, I am proving them wrong. And as cheesy as it sounds, at 18 years old, I thought, I am shattering statistics, and I'm excited, and me and my baby, uh, Eli, are doing well. And I thought, I am the hero of my story. And I was so proud, and my parents were so proud. And I wish I could tell you that my story ends there, and that's how I got into pro-life or pro-love ministry, and um, it isn't, and it didn't end there. And instead, about six months into my new life, which is six months into being a college freshman, six months into being a young mother, six months into being 18 years old, which, spoiler alert, I didn't have the world figured out like I thought I would, Uh, six months into, gosh, having a driver's license, my life became extremely chaotic. And this relationship I had been in with my son's father had always been violent, but I had never told my parents. And it finally was all coming to a head. So there was verbal abuse. There was uh, extreme physical abuse that my baby was witnessing. There was a drug addiction and it all just became too much. And I said, you know, I have to get out of this. And so I went to my parents and again, I was devastated. I was ashamed. I had already let them down by getting uh, pregnant at 17, and now I have to explain, well, actually, I've been lying to you, and this relationship is incredibly toxic. Oh, and I'm still engaging in risky sexual behavior uh, with this person, and they basically extended grace, which I did not expect, and they said, gosh, Rebecca, we had no idea, and we just want you and the baby to be safe, and we want you to live in our house Just like we said before, we want to help you get through college, not financially, but um, emotional support, practical support, because it's obviously very hard to do alone. And again, the cardinal rule that my dad laid down, amongst others, which were, we won't be your babysitters, don't expect to have a social life, and you will work, you will get good grades, you will finish college. The cardinal rule, the rule that my dad reiterated every time I left the house was, do not get pregnant again. Like every time, even if it was just me running a quick errand to grab diapers or formula for my baby, it was like, bye, see you in a minute, don't get pregnant. I mean, he made it abundantly clear. And of course, it wasn't a thought in my mind at all. And about maybe a week or two later, a week or two into this new chapter, this fresh start into ending that relationship, 
tell you the truth, it just felt like something was stirring in me. Like uh, I was nervous, like it was anxiety, like it was stress. I felt like I wanted to throw up. And I said, gosh, I just need to calm my nerves. I need to breathe that sigh of relief. I need to make sure that all loose ends from that past toxic, broken, abusive relationship are really severed and I can really move on. And the best way I know how to do that is to take a pregnancy test. It'll be negative, I'll chuck it in the trash, breathe that sigh of relief and move on. And again, I didn't know about places like Soundview would never have thought to come to my church to tell anyone what I was you know, about to do. But I knew I couldn't take a pregnancy test in my dad's house because he's very nosy and he would just find some trace of what had happened and my life would be over. So I went to the public grocery store bathroom, purchased a pregnancy test, locked myself in a stall, and within about 60 seconds of taking a test that I fully expected to be negative, I stared down, ready to uh, get dressed and go back to work, and staring back at me were two bright pink lines. And if you've never taken a pregnancy test, I'll tell you, it's a lot like a COVID test. So one line is negative and two lines is positive. And two lines was not what I was expecting to see. I didn't think I was pregnant. I didn't really feel pregnant, although now looking back, that's probably why I was nauseous. And this time there was no silver lining. There was no mom and dad are just going to forgive me. And how hard could having another baby be? And I'll just take this one to school with me too. And things are going to work themselves out. There was none of that. And if we could throw that first slide up, I was already a young mom to this little boy, Eli. He was about nine months old at the time. And as I'm sitting in this dingy, gray, disgusting public restroom, I started thinking, oh my gosh, this time my life is over. And not just my life, but this baby's life. Because having another child will take away food from Eli's mouth and diapers from Eli's bottom. And I've already given Eli a hard enough start by being born to a 17-year-old teenage mom, to a dropout, drug-addicted, abusive dad. Uh, the only shot in the world this kid has at making it are his maternal grandparents who are now going to disown us. And we're going to be alone and broke, and I'll never get married, and I'll be poor, and I'll... Um, have to live off of the system, which is, I believe in social programs, don't get me wrong, I absolutely do. I just, I just thought that that was forever going to be my life and I'd have to drop out of college and I'd never have a good job. All of these very daunting, very scary things. And then I thought, how unfair would that be to bring another child into that type of life? And so in a moment of panic, in a moment of crisis, I thought, there's no way, there's no way I can do this. And abortion looked like a compassionate choice, like a way for me to preserve the life I was trying to build. And it's almost like I wasn't being marketed or sold a service or a surgery or even an abortion. I was being sold hope. Like you can have this abortion and you can finish your education and you can have this abortion and you can make good money and have a good job and you have a good marriage one day. And like this was um, something uh, that I had to do to get to where I wanted to be. Abortion looked a lot like hope. And so if you've ever wondered, I, just, did I, you know, I can't understand why a woman would choose an abortion. Trust me, she's usually not doing it with a smile on her face. She's usually thinking, I have to make a choice. It's a sacrifice. And this is the one that will lead to a more uh, responsible, uh, a better future. And so that's what I thought I was buying into. And so I turned to my phone while still in this bathroom, didn't seek wise counsel, didn't go to my church, didn't phone a friend because they had all heard it before. And the last thing they wanted to hear was, oh gosh, Becky's pregnant again. And uh, 
I Googled abortion clinics near me. Mind you, I'm still a Christian, still attending church, and had made it up in my mind that God was just going to have to forgive me on this one because I'd rather face my heavenly father later because he's a forgiving dad than face my earthly father now because he's not a forgiving dad. That was my mindset. And so I Google abortion clinics near me and within about a 20 mile radius of my home in Sacramento-ish area, there were eight abortion clinics. And so you have to think to a girl in crisis, um, abortion was everywhere. Now, right here, Nassau County, uh, I was in my hotel last night. Within about a 30-mile radius, you have over 10 abortion providers. So abortion is everywhere here, too. It's another thing we have in common. I feel like your community was a lot like mine. And so as I'm looking and I'm looking, I choose a provider, and then I realized that there were two types of abortions I could have because I was so early on. I could have a standard surgical procedure, which would be about $1,000 or maybe a little bit more, and it meant sedation, and it meant instruments, and it meant I'd probably be a little goggy from the twilight sedation, mild sedation, and I had to go home and be a mom and act like nothing was wrong. So a surgical abortion was just not an option for me. Then I started to realize that there was something called um, a chemical abortion. And a chemical abortion, just so you're aware, uh, is sometimes called a medical abortion, a medication abortion, the abortion pill, pill abortion, DIY or do-it-yourself abortion, all of this is describing the same regimen. And I just want to be really accurate in telling you that this is not plan B, this is not the morning after pill, this is not Ella, uh, this is not backup birth control, this is not for someone who's trying to prevent a pregnancy after unprotected intercourse. This is an actual drug-induced abortion that's legal up to uh, two and a half months or 10 weeks gestation only. During COVID, we've seen it uh, increase to 11, 12, even 13 weeks gestation. So uh, if we could go up and Go ahead and put up that next slide. I want to show you the way it's marketed because I think it's really important when you're considering the fact that a woman is in crisis and she's scared and the church as a whole, not Beacon, but the church as a whole is relatively silent and she's frantic and she thinks that her parents are old and far removed and just won't understand. She doesn't have anyone to call. Look at the way uh, the abortion pill is marketed. I mean, they tell you it's just plan C, so that when plan A, which I guess is your birth control, fails, and plan B, which is the morning after pill, fails, well, honey, you can just take plan C. Or they call it the 10-week after pill, probably because that just sounds better than the abortion pill. Or they go as far in some circumstances to call it missed period pills, and they tell a woman that it'll just bring back your missed menstrual cycle. And so no matter where you fall on this issue, you have to understand that the marketing involved in abortion is extremely deceptive. Now, not only do you have 10 abortion providers here locally, and I did choose an in-person clinic for my abortion procedure. Also, please know that you have 72 online distributors of the abortion pill. If we could throw up that next slide, AV team. And this means that there are 72 websites willing to send abortion-inducing drugs to your doorstep, to your daughter's doorstep, based on an ad she may have seen on TikTok when she has never seen a doctor when she has never received counseling, when she's never had an ultrasound, she can't really confirm her gestational age. And this, in my opinion, is extremely dangerous. 72 online distributors. So that's chemical abortion in a nutshell. And please know that this makes up about 40 to 50% of the elective abortions that are happening in our nation every single year. So 400 to 500,000 abortions are via the abortion pill. 
There's about 100,000 abortions each year in New York, so 50,000 or more are via the abortion pill. This has changed and revolutionized and taken over the abortion industry. And again, women are thinking this is going to be convenient, more natural, less invasive, less painful. Now, I chose a clinic that was close to my university, walked in, and it was like pretty much nothing I'd ever gone through before. It was in a rough part of town. It was shady. It wasn't very dignifying. And I was actually all set to have uh, the abortion that day to start the pill regimen. And she says, I'm so sorry, but here at this clinic, we don't give the abortion pill on Fridays. And I, uh, it's after 3 p.m. and you cannot start your abortion today. So initially I'm a wreck, I'm emotional, I'm getting more pregnant, I'm feeling more pregnant. If you've ever had more than one child, you know you can't, you know, button your pants after like six weeks gestation, so I'm starting to look more pregnant. And they said, uh, just come back the following week, we'll schedule you for an appointment on Wednesday, and we'll take care of this. And I said, okay. And that day came, it was Wednesday morning, had prepared to lie to everyone about where I was going, and instead, we had a family emergency. So I had to stay home with my little guy, Eli, and 10 of my nieces and nephews, because we're a fertile bunch, and I just so happened to be fertile and reckless. Uh, and, but my family needed me, and I, I couldn't get out of the house to have this abortion. And at the time, even though I was a Christian, I didn't see it as God saying, you know, pause, Rebecca, let's think about this. I have another plan for you. Just say yes uh, to me and yes to the life I have for you. I just saw it as frustrating and mind over matter. You have to do this. You have to do this to get to the life you want to have. I mean, I was more concerned with graduating from college and getting a good job than I was um, getting into heaven truthfully, or having a relationship with Jesus or pausing to let him speak to me in my life. I just wanted to take control of a situation that I felt was spiraling uh, so far out of control. But at this point, this clinic was just kind of shady and kind of shabby and, again, wasn't the dignifying experience. So I turned to my phone. I type in abortion clinics near me. A ton of options pop up. And I chose what is really our nation's largest abortion provider, and that would be Planned Parenthood. And my experience there was a little bit better, to tell you the truth. But I think it's important that I touch on this. If you've ever heard the term pre-abortion counseling, this was the extent of mine. A worker, a nice worker, handed me a long kind of legal size form, and it had questions with little check yes and no boxes. And the questions were literally, you know, have you considered parenting? Would you like information on parenting? Uh, yes, I've considered it. No, my dad will kill me. Uh, have you considered adoption? I really hadn't, but yeah, I guess, yes. Uh, would you like information on adoption? No, because my dad will still kill me. And then I signed it and turned it in, and someone read back my answers, and they signed it and filed it away. And that was the extent of my pre-abortion counseling. I mean, there was no talk of physical aftermath, uh, emotional aftermath, maybe spiritual aftermath. Uh, it, there was none of that. And so instead, I was all set to have my abortion that day too. It was early March of 2013. And the nurse says, there's one final step. I have to take a quick sample of your blood. It should be very quick. I handed over my arm and she tried and she tried and she tried. And she said the words I've heard my whole life. Uh, Has anyone ever told you you have invisible veins? I said, yes, I'm anemic and I've probably dehydrated. And she said, well, I can't find a vein and I can't take your blood, and you cannot start the abortion today. And at this point, I'm frantic. I'm like, oh my gosh, why is everything going wrong? I just want to have this abortion and get on with my life and mind over matter. And again, didn't see it as the Lord uh, saying, pause, trust in me, say yes to me. And she said, just get a note from your doctor with your blood type. Come back the following week, and we'll take 
care of this. You can start the abortion process. And that's what I did. I returned back to that clinic on March 13th of 2013. And I sat down in one of the last clinic rooms with a, a nurse. And this time she has the abortion pill on her desk. And she's telling me basically everything I already read online. She says, Rebecca, this is going to be really natural, much like your monthly menstrual cycle. You're going to take this first pill called RU486 or Mifepristone, which is known as the abortion pill. She says, all this is going to do is it's going to uh, stop your pregnancy. Well, at 18 years old, I didn't think to ask, excuse me, ma'am, how does a pill stop a pregnancy? I mean, it didn't even cross my mind. And then she said, uh, tomorrow when you're home and um, after your parents go to sleep and maybe after you get your, your little guy down, you're going to take this second set of pills called misoprostol, and this will just expel your pregnancy. Expect some bleeding, expect some cramping. If you have blood clots larger than a lemon, go ahead and give us a call. But other than that, you should be good. And it's very quick. It's very um, medical. There's no emotion really attached to it. And I didn't stop to think, well, excuse me, wait, 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 wait. How does a couple of pills expel a pregnancy? Before I knew it, she said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yes. And I take full responsibility for my decision. And she handed me that abortion pill. I swallowed it. I knew there was no going back. And I walked out of that clinic and sat in my car. And it only took about maybe, maybe 90 seconds. And it was like that storm-filled lens, that foggy window I was trying to see through lifted. And I could now very clearly see what I had just done. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't even really believe in abortion. Uh, what is this pill doing to my body? Is my baby already dead? Uh, Am I going to feel pain tomorrow? And then it dawned on me that just because my appointment kept getting messed up, that the date was March 13th, and that one year prior on March 13th, I was in labor with my son, Eli. And that the following day, March 14th, the day I was supposed to complete the abortion, was Eli's first birthday. I thought, oh my gosh, tomorrow is literally going to be a day that I brought one baby into this world and took another one out, and that's what really wrecked me. And I just started praying, and I started crying, and I said, God, if there's a way out of this, please help me find it, and if not, God, please just forgive me and, and help me to forgive myself. And sometimes people will ask, you know, how, how did you change your mind so fast? And the best way I can describe how that feels is, you know, when you're alone and you're scared and you're making what you think is the best decision, but everything seems dark and it's frightening and you're walking down this path looking for any glimmer of hope, any glimmer of light, and you're telling yourself hope and light are waiting on the other side of that choice. Like, I need to go that way. And it was as if I went that way and made that choice and Satan himself blew out all the candles and said, gotcha. And now you know shame and now you know pain and now you know darkness and now you know what it's like to have just ended the life of your own child. And had it not been for God, I mean, Satan would have just left me there in my grief. Now, thankfully, I prayed first, but still I turned to my phone like we all do. Come on, let's be honest. And I typed in, you know, I started uh, medication abortion and I don't want to finish it. All these different phrases trying to get something to pop up. And uh, what did come up was not was not hopeful. It was, you have to finish what you started. You could have an incomplete abortion, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, I'm so desperate. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I'm on page two of Google. And that's how you know you're desperate because no one ever gets to page two of Google. And it's so far off from your search. And I found one pregnancy center, much like Soundview. And they had an advertisement that said, if you've started 
a medication abortion, you've taken the abortion pill and are having second thoughts, please call us. And I had no idea. I had never heard of a pregnancy center. Am I really calling religious people? Are they going to condemn me? Are they going to shame me? Are they going to yell at me? Are they going to pray for me? What good will that do? Of course, prayer works miracles. But at the time, that's my mindset, right? Is this going to be somebody that wants my credit card information? I mean, what, what? is going to happen. But I thought, well, I have nothing else to lose. It's like if you're drowning and someone's throwing you a life jacket, you're not going to say no thank you. And so I called and I spoke to a calm, um, kind, competent nurse uh, of a pregnancy center. And she walked me through questions no one at the abortion clinic ever asked me. Like, well, who are you? And how did you get here? And what is your home life like? And why did you think you had to have an abortion? And how are you feeling now? And do you know how an abortion really works? And this is not exactly what she told me, but this is what I know to be true now. And we walked through what that would look like. And she said, uh, the first pill basically that you took is called RU46 or the abortion pill. And it's a progesterone antagonist. She as a nurse is explaining this to me. The best way I can explain it to you is it's sort of like if I were to take away your oxygen, what would happen? you would die. When you take away progesterone from a growing baby during pregnancy, babies die. It's the reason why a lot of women have miscarriages. And if you think about the word progesterone, you have progestation. So it makes sense that without progesterone, babies die and pregnancies stop developing. 24 hours later, you take a second set of pills called misoprostol, the pills that I was told would just gently expel my pregnancy that I didn't think to question. And what I didn't know then that I know now is misoprostol is commonly given to women in active labor because it causes their cervix to dilate and to contract. In fact, it's given in all hospitals in all 50 states of this country for women who are going into labor. And so unbeknownst to me at 18 years old with no medical supervision while my parents slept, while a baby slept in a crib next to me, I was being instructed, again, unknowingly, to take misoprostol to send myself into labor over the toilet and then told it's best not to look and to just go ahead and flush. And that's as far as I will take it. I don't have any graphic images. I'm not here to scare you, but I just think it's important to know that uh, chemical abortion is, it's awful. And it's awful what it does to women who are um, hurt afterwards by what they see, by what they were not prepared to see, and they're not emotionally or physically prepared by the abortion clinic staff for what will really happen to your body. I mean, I felt swindled. I felt like I had been sold a bill of goods, and I couldn't believe it. And then she said, if we get progesterone back into your body because you took a progesterone antagonist, maybe we could save this pregnancy. And so we tried and I did progesterone injections for several weeks. And the abortion clinic said, uh, if this works, which it's not likely, but if it does, uh, your baby will probably be born with severe fetal anomalies. And I just said, okay, you know, what, what do you say to that? I prayed against it, but every day I worried that either I was going to lose this pregnancy or that this baby would be born with a fetal anomaly, which is not the end of the world, uh, but that I would have to explain it was because of a choice that I made. And I had to really wrestle with the Lord. And what I came to realize is that even if we were broke, even if we were poor, even if I had to drop out of college, and even if my child was born with a severe fetal anomaly, that their life had value. And I had to stop trying to end it. Now, I continued on with my pregnancy full 40-ish weeks, and there are two questions people always ask me as I wrap up here, and the first is, well, did your parents find out, and what happened? And oh boy, did they. The very next day, I'm still emotionally um, riled up. I still have the 
abortion-inducing medication in my dresser, my uh, bedroom door flies open, and my dad looked at me like he just knew. And so I pick up Eli and put him on my hip, because you can't hurt a girl that's holding a baby. And he says, your doctor called and left your, a message uh, on the voicemail. And I said, that's a HIPAA violation. And he said, I don't care. She says, you're pregnant again. And I said, Dad, that's not it. He said, what more could there possibly be? And I said, well, uh, I started an abortion. I was so afraid you were going to kick me out. I've changed my mind, and we're trying to undo it. We're trying to reverse it using progesterone. And he just shook his head. He was in disbelief. He had no idea that his words would lead his daughter to an abortion clinic. He thought he would, you know, prevent a pregnancy from ever happening. My mom came home from work that day, and she took that labor-inducing medication, and she flushed it down the toilet. And her, uh, well, I can't say her exact words because we're in church, but something along the lines of, I don't want that evil stuff in my house. And I said, Mom, you're a Baptist? You don't even cuss? And we don't even talk about abortion? Like, what do you mean evil? And she said, we don't talk about abortion because when I was a teenager in the 70s, Grandma took me to have three. And so here I am thinking my mom is old and religious and prudish, and she just doesn't know anything about sex or pregnancy or abortion, so we certainly can't have this talk. And it was really because my mom had so much pain and shame that she felt she couldn't carry into the church because no one in church was talking about it, and she didn't know about places like Soundview that offer free after-abortion care or counseling that she had never resolved her own grief. And so we were ending up, ended up being able to share in that experience and talk it through. And they were on board um, reluctantly to, to offer emotional support. The second question people always ask me is what happened? And I'll tell you, I did carry to term. And on October 20th of 2013, I gave birth to a little boy. And if we could throw his picture up there. So Zachariah was born perfectly healthy. There was a whole team of nurses and doctors waiting to take him when he was born just because we didn't know what would happen. And I remember my OB saying, saying, this baby is so healthy, I don't even want to expose him to unnecessary radiation through an x-ray. Um, that's how healthy you know, he was. And he's the average nine-year-old little boy. He loves Chick-fil-A and the Hulk. And... Um, Interestingly enough, he has a unique appreciation for his life, and every day I wake up so grateful that I don't have to wonder who Zachariah would be. Now, not only did Zach's life not end that day, my life didn't end either. And if you can go to the next slide, I was able to graduate from college, which was really cool. It took me about nine months longer than I had planned, but I'll say it was really neat on graduation day to have both of my babies there and to say I, I didn't have to choose. Like, that's a lie from the enemy that women believe they have to choose between their children and their dreams, and it's so far from the truth. Um, the kids that I thought would never have a dad because mom's story was ugly and broken and beyond repair got one of the best ones when I married my husband Kramer, like Seinfeld. That is his first name. And then in 2019 and 2020, we decided things were quiet and uh, we needed some chaos. So we had Lydia, who is very chaotic, and Jonah. And what I love telling people, especially girls in unplanned pregnancies, is that this is what was waiting on the other side of my yes. Like my yes to God and yes to God's plan for me. And this is what I almost missed out on. Um, had I gone through with that abortion decision. And I'm so grateful, of course, that I didn't uh, and that things worked out the way they did. 
I'll just, I'll, <laughs> I'll always be so grateful that I never have to wonder who Zach will be and the joy that he brings me is, I don't want to cry, but it's just indescribable. And so really the point of my message here today is that um, we have a lot of hurting people around us, people that have had abortions, people who are coming from other states to New York to have abortions as we speak. And while we may not be able to do much politically, I think we can do more compassionately in the church. We can love on these women before, during, and after an unplanned pregnancy. We can share the love of Jesus, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And even if someone chooses an abortion, um, if we lead their mom or their dad to Christ, that is a save too. And that's kind of an unpopular opinion, but that's how I view it and how I think the church should be involved, is offering hope before, during, and after pregnancy, no matter what happens. So thank you. And I want to invite Rob back up here. I called him pastor earlier, and he said he didn't know who I was talking about. I said, I don't think anybody will know you're talking about me at all. <laughs> So um, I, uh, I always, after I hear this, of course, I, I have to point out that your dad ended up not being the villain in the story, right, as a dad. Um, I'm really glad to hear that because I imagine many of us would have spoken uh, very similar uh, things and meant, very, uh, meant it even in many ways as best we try to figure it out. Um, but the part uh, that uh, was, I think, important as well um, for us to consider is that you had grown up in the church, yes. and it didn't feel like a place where these uh, situations, conversations, where abortion or an unplanned pregnancy, where you would find the kind of help and support. Yeah. And it's a huge encouragement to us to become more and more that kind of a place. And uh, I know you work with the crisis pregnancy centers and organizations around the country. Uh, we are very grateful to have Soundview uh, as a part of uh, the, the tools and resources that are here on the island. Soundview, by the way, they uh, not only do they help with uh, ultrasounds, they're a medical uh, pregnancy center, uh, but they also have parenting classes so they can help uh, young families. They also, one of their uh, very active ministries is for post-abortion care, uh, which is uh, a huge uh, area in need in, uh, in this whole conversation that a lot of uh, Christians are staying away from. But as you've mentioned, this is a, a key part of uh, the conversation. And so Soundview is here. Uh, we're also going to have a meet and greet and Q&A over on uh, the chapel side, on our ministry center side with Rebecca. And Soundview is going to be over here. That's going to start at uh, 12 o'clock. Uh, after the service here, and so uh, you guys are invited to uh, be a part of that as well. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, uh, we just thank you so much for the courage and the openness and authenticity that Rebecca brings uh, into this conversation. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that she has been able to impact lives, born, unborn, uh, throughout this, this country. Father, we recognize how poorly the church and Christians have done in showing the hope and compassion that is essential if we are to show the love of Christ, to model his forgiveness. 
a, a story like this encourages us that you are very much involved and active and, in, and Lord that you uh, are continuing to touch lives and we're asking that you would do that here with us that we Lord would increasingly be a place that is filled with hope and sensitivity and grace and forgiveness I know Lord through so many conversations how many have uh, had an abortion or have uh, made very life shattering kinds of decisions that they felt like they couldn't come back from and how many have dealt with guilt and shame Father you are the hope of the world you've given us the answer to our sin you've given us forgiveness you've granted us life eternal in your presence as your children let us be that more and more, representing you well in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Can we give Rebecca a, a very warm round of applause? If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.